like to focus on the nurturing aspects of our mothers. Thought about it. It's that one singular individual that allowed me to grow in my body and mind. I didn't really know that until I tried to grow without her. Uh, I was thinking about my first year of college. Uh, left about, uh, about three and a half, four hours away, traveled to go to school. And uh, I thought it was an acceptable practice to eat Haagen-Dazs ice cream as a meal. Um, Fifteen pounds later, I realized something's got to change. And uh, I would come home, and either, either one of two things, or maybe both things, would, would, would be with me as I traveled back home. One was a, a big laundry bag that said, Mom, I'm home, on it. Now, I knew how to do wash, and I did it, their laundry, but, you know, there's nothing quite like your mom doing it. Uh, and then the other thing that often would happen is I would try to make the trek from Boone to Raleigh sick. And I would come home and lay in bed for a couple of days because I was physically sick. And, uh, you know, mom was starting to really wonder whether I could thrive without her. Um, I, I learned that you were not supposed to eat spaghetti sauce, uh, uh, you know, maybe five weeks after you opened it. Um, and I learned, learned the hard way. It smelled good to me, but uh, it had bad effects. Uh, and so there's little lessons like that that, you know, I realize moms want to help you. They want to nurture you. And that's what's so uh, different. I guess other people will help you because, you, you know, you, they, you force yourself upon them. But your mom actually tends to want to. And that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. As I read John 15, uh, that, that thought occurs to me that there is someone that the mother points to, of someone who wants to nurture you, wants to help you grow, and not just in your body, not just mentally, but spiritually in your heart, as well as in your body and your mind and your emotions. They want to help you grow. And that's given to us in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, it is the a metaphor of the vine and the branches. Jesus is teaching this the last night uh, with the disciples. This is the same time that he's doing the communion, introducing the communion. Uh, it could be that Jesus might be teaching this even as he's left the upper room and going into the Garden of Gethsemane, leaving Jerusalem. It could be that he is teaching this, and there might even be vines around him as he's teaching this to the disciples. This is the same uh, teaching that he introduces the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit throughout. And so, in this passage, it is an imperative, a command that we see over and over and over again in this passage. And that is simply he commands us to abide, dwell in, remain in, continue. These are all different ways for saying the same thing of abiding in him. Now, up to this point, we've looked at the commands of Jesus where he says first to surrender. If you want to follow Jesus, he's asking us to surrender. Then there's sacrifice. We talked about what that is and the sacrifice uh, to Christ and how that is a joyous thing to do. And then the last time we were together, 
we were looking at listening. Jesus commands us to listen to him, to hear him. And that's in fact, you often say, those who have ears to hear, then listen to this. Now, as we look at the command of abide, abide requires all three of these commands. It's kind of like math. Before you can multiply, you've got to learn how to add. And, and multiplying is involving all that. Well, abiding in Jesus involves surrender, involves sacrifice, and involves listening to him. And it produces fruit, which is one of the end results of how you know you are a disciple of Jesus. So this is what our small groups are uh, been looking at and how to abide and to let that be the secret of fruitfulness in our life. And so it could very well be the most important imperative, the most important command of Jesus is to abide in him. And so let's read John chapter 15. We're going to uh, look at actually verses 1 through 17 all together. Um, and we're going to look at three truths uh, to grow by that comes from this passage. John 15 verse 1 through 17. Let's stand as we Read this together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. I'm not going to be able to cover and explain the entirety of this text, each one of these verses could very well be a sermon in of itself. But I want to capture the big ideas, the things that are repeated most often. You'll see frequently the word fruit, vine, branch, and abide. So I want to talk about those, each one of those. 
the vine and the branch and abiding specifically, the fruit, that which comes from those. So, fruit. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, singular, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So you could certainly say that your character, your conduct, uh, is part of this fruit. It could also be uh, of the reproduction of disciples that happens in your life. But all these things ultimately are for the vine dresser, the Father. It brings glory to God. Fruit is a life that glorifies God by your conduct as well as by others around being drawn to Christ. And so, how do we grow? How do we become more loving? How can a selfish person become unselfish? How can controlling, manipulative people become folks instead that free others up? How can cowards become courageous? How can whiners become givers? How can warriors become someone who is stable and secure? How can bigots become understanding? That's the question, isn't it? This is like the Wizard of Oz. You know, we, we wish someone could just give us a heart, give us brains. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, it doesn't quite work that way, does it? Jesus says he's the wizard. Let me give to you these things. And he gives us the secrets of how to grow. And I just want to bring some truths, three truths to grow by that comes from this text. And the very first one is very simple. Christ is our vine to nourish us. Christ is our vine to nourish us. Now, what I want you to understand is like mothers... Jesus wants to nourish you. And that's just kind of what got my head this morning and heart all throughout this week. is just realizing Jesus wants to be the vine. Now, some of you who have young kids know that there's a difference between having someone babysit your children and having your grandparents babysit your children. And the difference simply is you know when the grandparents come, most cases, they want to take care of the kids. Babysitters, you pay them. You pay them to do this, all right? And you hope that they maybe would be willing to do it again afterwards. But the difference is that grandmothers, grandparents will want to do it, hopefully, and, and usually that's the case. And that is such a, a big difference, isn't it? Those of you who have young kids, you understand that. Well, see, Jesus wants to be the vine that nourishes you. He wants to be the source by which you grow. And that is just unbelievable to me as I think about it. This is another, this, John 15 is a very figurative way of actually something else said in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'm, I'm going to ask that you just turn there for a second, keep your finger in John 15. But go to Romans chapter 8. I want to see a little bit more, uh, another way of saying the same thing. Looking at uh, verse 28, he's already talked about the future glory that we have in Romans 8, what the Holy Spirit is for us, and how he works in our lives in, in, in Romans chapter 8. And then, in verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called 
according to his purpose. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You get this picture in Romans chapter 8 of all that God is doing in your life, working in your life, working for your good, and good looks like Jesus. And so as we read Romans 8, and we read this passage in John 15, and look at verse 16, going back to John 15 verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit shall abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. When I look at the passages of Scripture that says, don't be selfish, but be unselfish, be giving, be loving, and I say, God, you know how hard that is for me? Scripture is saying to me, The God who created the heavens and the earth with a word that there is an expanse of universes and galaxies that we still, even with the technology that we have, cannot get to the end of it. God who made all of this with the word is working on my behalf to help me be unselfish. He wants that. He is the vine to nourish me in that. Now, how many of you, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had... Uh, a uh, maybe a few billionaires here, and I had the, the great announcement to say, hey, everyone else who is not a billionaire, there are billionaires here who have come, and they're for you. You say, well, Jerry, what does that mean? They're for me. Well, they are making their accounts at your disposable for everything that is for your good, they're going to write a check for. It's, it's that you can draw upon his resources or her resources for this. You will don't ever have to worry about money again. Now that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But for those of you who are prone to worry, will that solve your worrying? No. Because then you're going to worry about that billionaire <laughs> and your relationship with them. And you're going to always find something to worry about. But here, wouldn't that be just amazing to, to see that there's this billionaires and they've got all their resources at my disposal there for me. Well, see, we don't have to worry about money. We just have to worry about their relationship then, won't we? Are, are they alive? <laughs> right, let's make sure their, their well-being is taken care of. And are you, am I doing everything right? The relationship's well? Look, well, what you have in Jesus Christ is all the disposals of God, and he says, I'm for you. And that's one of the things that Romans 8 says, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And then we wonder about, well, if he's got all these resources, well, will he really love me? And Romans 8 says, there's nothing that's going to separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. God is working as a vine for you. He wants to nourish you spiritually to give you everything in wisdom to help you to be godly. And to have everything you need in Christ Jesus. And so, that's something that you just need to ponder for a little bit. He wants to be the vine for you. He wants you to draw upon His resources. 
That is a powerful thing to get your hands around and to get your head around. He is simply saying that he's committed to you. And he's going to provide everything you need. And one goal of holiness and Christ-likeness, of greatness, to be great according to God. So, how can we be great according to God? And that's what he's saying. I'm, your, I'm going to be your vine. Now, that's the first truth. Christ is our vine to nourish us. All right? Now, the second truth, Christ is the true vine to own us. Christ is the true vine to own us. Now, what, why did I phrase it that way? What, what does that mean? Well, you notice he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Why did Jesus say, I'm the true vine? What's implied in that? There's false vines. There are things that you think will nourish you, but they do not. Now, that's the important part of the true vine. And I just want to challenge you just a little bit. What do you go to to nourish you? What do you hope in to say life is going to be good if I have this? Those are the vines you're looking toward. It could be your family. It could be your husband, your wife. It could be your parents. It could be your job. It could be your house. It could be entertainment. I'm going to tell you one of the things that I found, and it might hit a few folks, comfort. I always tend to go to comfort as my vine to nourish me. I'll have a good sense of well-being if I've got my cup of coffee. I've got peace in the house, and I can read what I want to read at the leisure that I want to have. If I just have that, then life is good, and I can withstand whatever happens that day. Comfort. That's just one example. It is not a vine that satisfies your heart. Jesus is saying he is the true vine. And so every once in a while, you're going to see this get challenged, and we're going to talk about how that happens. But the Christ is the true vine to own us. All right, now, let me talk about that. How does a true vine own us? Well, he says, I'm the true vine. And then he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And so, uh, simply, verse 5, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Now, for a branch to be alive, it has to be totally wholly dependent on the vine, right? This is where surrender comes in. See, sometimes we say, well, you know, Christianity, I would do it except for the fact that it's, I have to clean up my life. <laughs> have you heard that? I, you know, I'm not going to really get engaged with Christ because I've, I've got some stuff I've got to clean up. And then there are other Christians who says, you know what, it's not that hard. Here are the, as long as you avoid these obvious sins and, and, and study the Bible, then you're okay. Avoid the obvious sins, study the Bible, be in church. If the, <laughs> see, the thing is what Jesus is bringing out, he kind of breaks both of those up. Jesus is saying to the unbeliever, he says, you know what, I, I, it's just, 
It's all this cleaning up stuff. And Jesus said, no, it's not the cleaning up. It is to depend on me. I want to give you life. And Christianity is not a list of things that you stop doing. A list of, of, of achievements. And, and so it's, it's, it's much more to it than that. And so for the Christian who thinks it's easy, he says to them, you know, I'm not asking you to tithe. I'm asking you to give all of it. I'm not asking you to give a Sunday to the Lord. I'm asking you to give your whole life to the Lord. And so there's much more to this. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The Christian way is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your ordinary self but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. You're going to be asked for a whole lot more than money. You're going to be asked for a whole lot more than some temporary celibacy in your life. You're going to ask to make Jesus the reason you get up in the morning. You're going to be asked to make Jesus your very life. To make Jesus your very own vine. You see, he is the true vine which owns us. It is to say that all of my hope is not in my health anymore. It's not in my family. It's not in my marriage. It's not in my church. It's not in my social calendar It's not in my possessions, in my car. My true vine is Jesus. You see how this is so much more? If we're going to be the branch, we have to be nourished by nothing more or else than the vine of Jesus Christ. It goes back to that relationship. You see, one of the things that happens when you become a new Christian is that you get busy. You come in and you say, okay, uh, this is great. I've, I've got purpose in my life. I've got assurance of heaven. I know what's going to happen to me when I die. I've got forgiveness. And you know you're saved by grace. But it's hard for us to really live that out. And so what do we do? We start getting busy. We start getting busy and we start going to, to Bible study. And we start reading the Bible. And we start going to church. And we start going to all the church activities. And then, and then we say, okay, I need to be helping people. And so you start helping people, and, and you're, you're going busy left and right, but all along the way, you've forgotten that right at the heart of it is friendship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. And so we can get so busy that we don't know how to listen to Jesus in our life. You see how this is dependent on the, the last imperative? You've got to listen. And so that's one of the dangers we tend to get into. And, and we think, well, let's get rid of the most obvious sins. And as long as we've gotten rid of the most obvious sins and we're busy in church, we're growing. Right? Well, somewhere along the way it hits you, doesn't it? Or maybe it hadn't hit you yet. But that's not vine. The church is not your vine. Do you understand that? It's not going to be what makes you happy and joyous. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. And so for you who are new 
and the faith, you go back to Jesus. For those of us who are old in the faith, go back to Jesus and what it means to talk with him, to hear from him, to listen to him. And so Christ, our vine, to nourish us. He wants to nourish us, and that's the wonderful thing. You ever been around someone that you thought, yeah, I don't know if they really like me or not? It's not very fun, is it? Or maybe they just tolerate you. You just did enough good things where they'll speak to you a little bit more. That's not at all what it is with Jesus Christ. It's not whether or not you performed well on the last sporting event, or the last work event, or the last family outing. Jesus wants to hear from you. He wants to talk to you. That is an amazing thing. I was talking with someone that it's, it's, it's funny how the, the news shows, the best ones are the ones that have some sense of relationship dynamic, where you have some sense of, like, you're friends with them. Facebook is popular because there's some sense of community that you're involved with something greater than yourself, with, with Twitter and other things. You're connected, but they're hollow. But the reason why they're success is because they're resembling what God has made and is designed in Jesus Christ. That the, the, the idea of being connected with something greater than yourself is actually found in Jesus Christ. The, the idea of a growing, thriving, enjoying relationship comes through Jesus Christ. And all that TV and social media can do is just a facade of that. But if we're not careful... They become vines to us. Vines. Now, it's important for us to understand that when we, we are the branch and we belong to the vine, our identity is not any more based in what we do, but to whom we belong to. What makes a grape branch a grape branch? <laughs> the fact that the grape branch is a tie to the grape vine. It could be ugly. It could be pretty. It doesn't really matter. But the hope is that it belongs to the vine. Do you understand that our identity, and I'm going to say this, and I know you're, just write it down. Our identity is based on to whom we belong. Our identity is based on to whom we belong. So that begs the question, well, well, who on earth do we belong to? I share with you that some time ago I was hearing or reading some of uh, um, Gandhi's wife. And, and the question came to her uh, about this uh, subjugation to, to Gandhi. And, and her response was very telling that she gets her dignity not based on what she does. But she gets her dignity from honoring her husband. I thought, wow, that's an interesting statement. You don't hear that said often. Uh, but I thought, but that makes total sense in Christ. Honestly, I'm not good enough to give any dignity to my wife. I'm going to say that right there. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a poor showing there. Uh, but to have dignity that comes from belonging to Jesus Christ is something a little bit different now, isn't it? I was reading a, a poem. I shared it with some of the guys yesterday morning from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he, he wrote this while in prison. He was in World War II or in World War II Germany 
um, and was against Hitler, was a believer, a Christian, uh, and was a dynamic uh, uh, teacher, uh, a, even in the Nazi era. And so he gets in, in prison uh, because he is taking care of some Jews. Ultimately, he gets uh, executed by hanging uh, two weeks before World War II ends, before Hitler himself kills himself because of his plot against Hitler. But he writes this point called, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me I step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as thought it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Restless, longing, and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, Weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me. These lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. You see, it's not your inconsistencies. It's not what people say of you. It's not what you think of yourself that is your identity. These are illusions, aren't they? You can see only yourself dimly. You don't even know yourself, much less others. Does that really define you? No, it's that you belong to God. Romans says it in a very eloquent way. Romans uh, chapter 14. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I'm a branch. And what makes me a branch is that I belong to the vine. I'm His. I'm His. Now, there's one other truth I want you to, to think about. We're talking about the Christ, the true vine to own us. We talk about Christ, our vine to nourish us. But then there's an abiding relationship with Christ to flourish us. All right? What I mean by that is that it's simply by relating to Jesus, talking to Him, dwelling with Him, that helps us grow, flourishes us, that makes us fruitful. It's not in all the work that we do, but it's in Jesus Christ in relation with Him. Now, it's there's some careful things here because Jesus says in this passage, there's a few things that he, that he kind of highlights. He says, well, you're to, uh, to understand there's a knife. There's a knife of the Lord that's pruning. There is the joy of the Lord. He says, I, I give these to you, in verse 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then he says to us, uh, that I want you to abide in my word. 
And then he says, I want you to abide in my love, remaining in the love. And so there's the love of Jesus. There's the word of Jesus, which is given to us in the word of God. There is a pruning knife and there's joy. All these come from abiding with Jesus. Okay, so let me just kind of bring this out, how this would work. Let's talk about the knife, the pruning knife. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Have you ever seen someone prune that knew what they're doing? I had a granddad. He, he, was, uh, he was very skilled, grew up on the farm, an agricultural agent. Um, and so once he started working the proly board, he, farming was or gardening was his hobby. But he was very good at it. He would graft things. Every once in a while, we'd come home, and we see these beautiful fruit trees. What once were beautiful fruit trees, no longer beautiful. I mean, they, they, all the leaves were gone. The limbs were uh, just severed off, and we would look at that, and our whole family would be like, Granddad has done it now. He has killed that tree. There is no way that that tree is ever going to thrive again because he has butchered it. (laughs) You know what he did? He was skillfully pruning it. He had the eye to see all that which detracted from fruit and would sever it so that another season or two, it would bear more fruit than it did before. So, listen, Jesus says that the Father is the vine dresser. There is not one thing, there's not one thing cut off that would not have been a loss to keep and that was a gain to lose. All right? There's not one thing cut off that would not have been a loss to keep. And that was a gain to lose. In other words, what Jesus cuts off is your gain. What the Father cuts off is your gain. That's the idea of the vine dresser pruning in our life. Now, there's several things cut off. There's the the branches that do not bear fruit that are cut off. And then there's those branches that bear fruit that are pruned so that it will bear more fruit. Now, you're going to find that there's loss that you endure in your life. Now, here's, here's something that everybody knows. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, everybody loses, right? Doesn't everybody lose something? The unbeliever and the believer will lose a child alike, will lose a spouse alike, will lose a job alike, will lose their health alike, right? We all will lose. The difference is that for the believer, when they lose, there is a vine dresser working in there. There is a Holy Spirit working in the the midst of all this. There is the words of Jesus. There is the love of Jesus. There is the joy of Jesus that is working. So when that person loses, they become fruitful. Now, suffering does not always produce joy, does it? Most of the time, no. The suffering make you better. Maybe. But, without the right ingredients, suffering will make you bitter. Right? Haven't you seen some bitter, angry people? And you ask them, why are you so angry? And they'll talk about something that was lost to them. What's the difference? John 15 is saying the difference is a father's pruning knife and the vine that nourishes it. You see, when things are cut off, it's so that we will draw upon the vine. Right? When there is relationships cut, when there is health 
cut, when there's jobs cut, finances cut, comfort cut, when there's things cut, it is so that we will draw upon the vine more than we did before. And in drawing upon the vine, then fruit can be produced. So, if you're connected to Jesus, the same troubles and evil and bad things that happen to everybody else in this life won't make you hard. They'll make you soft. They won't make you less human. They'll make you more human. Isn't that something? That's what Romans 8.28 says, isn't it? All those who love God and call according to his purpose, he, he works things to good. See, it's, it's the, the vine and the branch and the pruning knife at work. Now, the same knife that will cut off a person who doesn't find his or her joy in Jesus will cut back and prosper a person who does. So if you don't find your joy in Jesus, you don't find your nourishment in Jesus, you won't bear fruit, you'll be dead, and so you'll be cut off. You don't have your joy in Jesus. You're not connected to Him. But the person who does have the joy in Jesus, when they're pruned, gets even more connected to Jesus and become more joyful, more in love, more in His Word. But listen, I want you to understand something. That same knife cut Jesus. That same knife cut Jesus. See, see, Jesus was cut off, wasn't he? He was cut off by the wrath of God because of your sin. Our, our tendency to seek other vines, that's sin, isn't it? When we take our bodies and we say they don't belong to God, they belong to me, and we find nourishment out of other sources, that's sin. Jesus became that, and he was cut off by God. He was cut off so that you wouldn't have to be cut away. You get that? Jesus was cut off so that you would not have to be cut away. So that you can find nourishment in Jesus. Now, the love, the word of God, the joy, all these work together. That's why James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you go through various trials. Why does he say that is only true if Jesus is your joy? I'm going to tell you, that is only true. If, it's, if Jesus is not your joy, that will be the most ridiculous statement ever. To count everything as joy. That's only true if Jesus is your vine. Alright? And so there is the joy that comes in. The, there is the love of God. To know that when people are cut off, that once loved you, to know that you still have the love of the Father in you. And you're abiding in that. You're dwelling. Now what does this mean to dwell? Now there is, I'm going to argue, that there is a definite aspect of need for memory work in your brain. Alright? There's going to be a need to be able to recount the gospel to yourself, to be able to, to know the stories of God and share them with yourself, to know the verses and share them with yourself, to be able to abide. But I'm going to tell you, that alone doesn't do it. It's not the external thing. It is the Holy Spirit's work through those things. You see, Christians are not changed by external pressure. You've seen this in marriage, right? All right how, how many of you have ever been married to someone that you wish you could change? Oh, there we go. Okay, okay. There's a bunch of liars here. <laughs> There's a bunch of liars. I know they're sitting next to you. Okay, um, if you both you raise hand, it's okay. 
All right, so how do you change them? We, we tried, right? Right? Some of you married them with the hope of changing them. It doesn't work. External pressure doesn't do it. You see, often we change by either fear or pride, don't we? One of those two are usually the ones that are working in it. Fear or pride. And so you're going to threaten your spouse. If you don't change, I'm leaving. And so they, they'll say, oh, I don't want that. I'm, I'm afraid because they're, you're, they're probably, you know, you're probably like me and think, I'm going to die if I don't have someone here to take care of me. All right, so, and so there's that fear. <laughs> there's that fear. Uh, and, and so we, we, we change. We change. All right, but then what happens? Okay. I feel a little bit more secure. secure. They're not going to leave. All right. Just relax a little. Go back. It's like taking, taking some metal and it just springs right back if you're trying to bend it. And then the other thing is, is pride. Oh, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good wife. I, I don't want to be known as that. I don't want to create that type of problems. And, and so we, we, we change because we want to be a good husband or we want to be a good wife. But, but you know what happens then? Then we start resenting them. This is, why are they making me do this? And it grows, that resentment grows, doesn't it? The anger grows. And then it starts turning on itself and working against the whole marriage to begin with. You can't make people change externally. Jesus can't make us change externally. And so, you know, the problem is, is is then we start, you know, if fear and pride is the motivation, we start changing because of fear and pride. It only eats or only uh, builds up fear and pride again, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, look how good a husband I am. And, and pride becomes the build up again. And so just, it's a trap. Jesus is asking us to change not externally, but internally. It's like taking that metal instead of trying to put pressure on it, it, it melts. It melts. How does it happen? Through the love, abiding in the love, the joy of Christ, abiding in the joy, abiding in the words of Christ, and a pruning knife to keep you focused on the vine. And that relationship with Jesus Christ, there is an internal and eternal change that takes place on the inside of our life, and it has taken us throughout our life in this process. And so, what's success? Well, there's fruit, there's glory to God, but when it's all said and done, my hope is that I belong to Jesus. And all my failings and frailties, Jesus. And he volunteered to take me on. (laughs) He volunteered to take me on. He's the one that chose me. He's the one that laid down his life for me. I'm not pressuring him to do that. He wants to. And because you know how hard it is to live with yourself and to change yourself. Jesus volunteered to do it. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, we must not be surprised if we're in for a rough time. When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well, he often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When troubles that will come along, illness, money troubles, new kinds of temptations, you begin to get disappointed. Why is this happening now? Didn't I already give myself to God? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will have to be much more brave or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. 
It seems to us all unnecessary. But that is because we have not dreamed of being before what we could be. It seems unnecessary. But we've yet, not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing He means to make us. Imagining yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what He's doing. He's getting the drains right. Stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew these jobs needed to be done all on the way. You're not surprised. Like, good. These things are finally getting fixed. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. And it doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I am the vine. You are the branches. And I've appointed you to great things. Don't be surprised when startling things happen. Trust in Christ. Abide in Him. Belong to Him. Feed on His love. Feed on His word. And let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Let's pray.